0: Welcome to the Love Reaching Community's Sermon of the Week. For more information pertaining to the life of the church, please visit our website at lrcchurch.co.za. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, sir. I heard somebody say, Good morning, sir. Thank you very much. I'm never going to get away from this one. I can see that one. Very, very good to be with you. Uh, Always lovely to be with you, and thank you for this privilege of just being able to to chat to you this morning so you'll recall that we uh, we're doing a series called what jesus did uh, hopefully you'll recall that and uh the key verse underlying that is from romans romans 13 verse 14 which says put on christ or clothe yourself with christ if you prefer and do not give thought to how to satisfy or gratify your sinful nature that's the underlying verse and we've dealt with a whole number of things in the last couple of weeks We've dealt with rest and obedience, gratitude, giving last week. And this week, I'm going to chat to us about honor, this thing of honor. And every one of those things that we've dealt with in the last few weeks, uh, we've done so because Jesus himself personified these things. He lived that way, that he reflected these things. And so when we talk about putting on Christ, we can put these things on, because that is who Christ is, amongst a whole lot of other things. We've just chosen Five or six of those things. And what is the meaning of, of honor just quickly? Well, we know it's not an everyday thing that we necessarily use in our everyday talk. But honor, honor is used for something that we attribute special respect to or the greatest respect or the greatest esteem to. That might be how, one way of describing honor. The other words that would fit in close to that are uh, words like um, tribute or glory even or renown might give you an indication, a better indication of this word, honor. Also used um, as a quality, as a quality. And really, I think, very pertinent to us for this conversation, the incredible truth that God looks at each one of us who are in him, who know him as our Savior, and he calls us saints. And in a sense, we could use the word in the following way and say, because of this credible status of saints, we want to honor that status by living lives that reflect him. You, you get that. A quality of, of knowing and living morally is another meaning of that word honor. It's just as an introduction. So I want to look at four things this morning. Firstly, just to start off with this question of honoring God and honoring men. Honoring God and honoring men. And often when we're honoring men, we are honoring God as I hope it will be clear as I, as I continue to talk. I think it would be fair to say, don't you agree, that in today's society, it's not about, it's all about us. It's all about our personal gain. It's about our self-fulfillment. It's about our personal rights. It's about what we like. And advertisements and marketing is all about, about those things. Living the way we want to live. It's about our climb in the corporate ladder. It's about our power. Lawmakers are are always under pressure to provide for personal rights, all about us individually. I think it's fair to say that. Would you not agree? And when we look at the life of Jesus, we see, I see, we see something completely different to that worldview that dominates. Something completely different. And I want to just concentrate on, on a few of those things, not only in what Jesus said, but the way he lived his life. And so, my friends, if we we start in any of the Gospels, I happen to look at Mark just in preparing for for this morning. And we see right in the beginning of Mark, it starts with John the Baptist. John the Baptist who came, who was a a herald, who prepared people for the coming of Jesus and Jesus' ministry. And we know and remember that that John the Baptist had a huge following. People followed him. They they flocked to him. And he was quick to say and make, make the point very clear that he wasn't even worthy to untie the sandals of Jesus, who was to come and who, and who was starting his ministry at that time. And when Jesus himself was baptized by John, to read about in the beginning of Mark, we have this incredible, incredible affirmation that God the Father gives to Jesus. You remember it well when Jesus comes out of the water, having been baptized by John, and God the Father says, This is my Son, whom I love, and in whom I am well pleased. And right there and then, Jesus is identified, declared by God, affirmed by God as his son, as God himself, really. And he begins his ministry, Jesus does, in the beginning of Mark. As soon as John went to prison, Jesus began to minister, having that affirmation from the Father. And he begins to minister, and we read right in the beginning of Mark, uh, he also puts his team together, starts calling his disciples to him. And early in in Mark, we read of him going, To the home of 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 simon and andrew the two two disciples that he had already drawn to him and they go there so this is jesus who's just been declared as the son of god he's hanging really hanging he's been in the synagogue he's taught in the synagogue just before that and the people have been wowed by his incredible authority the way he spoke and he he drove out demons and a a guy who had an evil spirit in the synagogue and he goes to his friends house, simon and and andrew and he's I think, I read into that, that he's he's chilling, he gets there, and it says immediately they told him that Simon's mother-in-law was ill. What does it say? Jesus immediately, immediately went to her, took her by the hand and lifted her up, and her fever was gone. And from that early, early account of Jesus, when I carry on reading Mark, I get an incredible picture of the selflessness of God. It's the very point that I made in the beginning. Immediately, he doesn't say, well, that's that's his mother-in-law, Oh, she's sick, sorry to hear that. Immediately, he goes, he lifts up, takes her by the hand, and her fever is gone. And from that day onwards, as we read in all the Gospels, the the, the picture, the overwhelming picture of Jesus, who is the Son of God, as I keep stressing, is, is of somebody who continually, continually lays his life down in honor of those that come to him, that God has placed in his path. Now, when we read of that same incident that I've just mentioned, it says, this is incredible for me, at, at sunset of that same day that he, was, that he was with Simon, sunset came because it was the Sabbath and people could only come to him after, this, after sunset. It says the entire town was at his door. Not five people, not 20 people. Read it for yourself. The entire town arrived at Simon's door. I don't know where you live. Let's say you live in Edenvale. Can you imagine going to chill out with your mate? You're sitting there. You've done your good deed for the day. You haven't ignored the mother-in-law. You've looked after this mother-in-law. We've prayed for her. She's, she's healed. And then the entire Edenvale, the entire town arrives at your door. Talk about pressure. But that's exactly what it says there. And what did Jesus do? He began to minister to them. It says he healed many, many, many diseases and drove out demons. The entire town. And I don't know about you, but often, often I think of the pressures on on my life. You do the same, I'm sure, in Johannesburg. This is Johannesburg, and everybody's clamoring for our attention, and work wants us to do this, and we've got family commitments, and the school, the school, the school wants you to do this and that, and there's homework, and parents' evening, and, and there's too much. There's too much. Jesus had the entire town on his doorstep, and yet was not too much for him the son of God to minister to those people in that way and and we read continually as I've said from that time onwards that was the pattern for Jesus's life and he keeps we keep reading of him getting into a boat and just 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 mooring somewhere off the coast because there's just so many people pressing around him and so I think we've got to ask ourselves this question in this under this first point I have of honoring men sometimes it's uncomfortable fat probably always is uncomfortable. It invades our space, as it did Jesus. He had to get into a boat and just, just get off that, off, the, off the land for a while because people were just crowding him. The entire town came. And so Jesus did that. His, his comfort zones, his space, his time, his own enjoyment, his own personal agendas were put aside continually throughout his ministry. There's a challenge to us when we are faced with the needs of people around us God, Jesus knew how to honor those around him continually. In fact, you read at the end of Mark 1, this is all in in Mark 1, the first chapter of Mark, that Jesus was so, it, it became such an issue for Jesus that when he walked, he couldn't go into any main town, it says in the very end of Mark 1. He could only go to remote places, and still the people pressed to see him. Incredible, incredible, incredible challenge to us in our busyness to ask the same question of ourselves. And what does it require of us? That we honor people and that we honor them even if it costs and it will cost our time, our comfort zones. My friends, I just want to point out one or two other things from, from just from this, 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 this one incident. One incident. It also says that later that same day after Jesus had done these things and he ministered to the entire town, it says they went to look for him. And Jesus was with his father. He'd got up early in the morning, very early in the morning while it was still dark. And he was God himself. But he knew that to be able to do this and honor people in that sacrificial way that he asks us to honor people, we can only do that. If we too get up when it is still dark, deny ourselves our sleep and wait upon the father as Jesus did that day for the things that lay ahead of him. That was his pattern. If God had to do that, if Jesus did that, how much more in our honouring and what God calls us to do, honouring of others, we need the strength and, lead- and leading of our Father to do that. A couple of other points to make that stood out for me in that is just the fact that, and we and we talked about it in some ways this morning, and I'm so I'm so grateful to God for that. I th- just struck by how God also Jesus in the ministry to people was so concerned about their individual lives and their Peculiar things that were peculiar to them, and so we read also of an incident in Matthew 5 where Jesus was on his way to to Jairus's home. Jairus was the ruler of the synagogue, an important person, and his daughter was ill. That she, she died. And they called Jesus to go and minister to her. And he again, as he did, set out on, on the road to go and minister to her. And we know what happened, 're halfway there or on the road. People had said to him, but he said that she's not dead, don't worry. I'm, I'm I'm i have it under control. She's just sleeping. And what do we read that the people did? They began to laugh. They laughed at Jesus. It says they laughed at Jesus. They scorned what he said. They said, she, how can you say that? She's dead. But Jesus is not put off by that offense that they give him. I don't know about you, but obviously, you know, if you just administer to the entire town, you, you you're doing all these things, you're going from Everywhere, even in remote areas, you're swamped by, by the needs of people. And then you're going to go and minister to a, to a person's daughter, and, and, and they laugh at you. So but you're talking nonsense. She's not, how can you say she's sleeping? So Jesus said, okay, well, I really wanted to go and help you. But if that's your attitude, cheers, I'm out of here. Sorry to paraphrase in that way. But we would say that. I think I would say that. You, 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 want, you want to tell me and laugh at me. I'm, 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 I'm laying my life down for you. No, God didn't do that. So there are challenges in this walking out and honoring of people above ourselves. Such as offense that could be taken. Jesus didn't take that offense. And what did he do when he'd raised that girl from, from the dead and she, was, and she was fine again? It says, he said to them, and by the way, she's hungry. Please give her something to eat. It's a small little, but I, it really struck me that. Jesus did exactly the same. Remember when, again, he was with the crowds of people in a remote place to, to be out of the way, and the very well-known scripture of, of of the two fish and five loaves and two fish. There again, there was a situation where his disciples said, Lord, you've do, we've done these things, but these people, it's very late at night. They need to go home. They, 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 they're hungry. Did Jesus say, hang on a minute, it's one meal. I'm pouring my, my heart out here. We're talking spiritual things. We, we, we're speaking kingdom things here. Don't come and tell me they're hungry. They, they, they can, they'll go home later. They can go and Open the fridge. Not that they had fridges. No, he didn't. He didn't say, that's a small issue. Don't worry me now about their hunger. He said, well, you're right. They're hungry. Do something about it. Exactly what he said to to Jairus and about his daughter. He said, by the way, your, your daughter's hungry. Give her something to eat. God was so aware of where every individual person was. The lady at the well, the Samaritan, same story. Jesus Aware of all the incidents in her life, where she found herself. And in our ministry and honoring of others in that way, God calls us, I believe, also to take account of those maybe not spiritual things. When you speak to somebody, understand where they are. Almost be where they are. We honor people best when we understand them, when we, when we appreciate their circumstances. It came up this morning, I think, in our prayer meeting, a similar thing. To be aware that the people are different places in their lives. Jesus did that. He calls us to do that. Back to that incident of, of, that I mentioned in Matthew 5, where Jesus is on, his, on the way to heal the daughter of Jairus. I love the scripture. I've, I've held on to this piece of scripture for so long. I, just, I don't know why it speaks to me so powerfully. But in that time, walking on the road, we know the story well. Jesus is walking along, and there are crowds again pressing against him. It's the story of the lady who had bleeding for 12 years. Moves me the story every time I read it. And there he is, Jesus, and crowds are pressing. And there's this woman, has, 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 an, has an issue of bleeding for 12 years. So she's been to doctors. Not one of them, not one of them have been able to heal her. And, as she, and all she thinks to herself, if I can just reach out through the crowd and just touch Jesus' garment, I'll be healed. And, and and what is it a picture of? It's a picture of a A woman who has no dignity. How can you have dignity if you've been bleeding for 12 years? Who lacks dignity. It's probably shameful. It's probably shameful to be in that situation. She's certainly rejected. She's of no significance in society. She's lonely. She's on her own. She has no confidence at all. But she pushes through the crowd. She just touches Jesus. And Jesus knows that power has left him. And he says, he he asks his disciples, who touched me? And they say, but Lord, there are thousands, hundreds of people pushing against you. How can you ask who touched me or who touched you? And it says that Jesus, but Jesus kept looking around. He kept looking around, searching for that one person, that one person in that multitude of people. That person who was the most undignified, lonely, shame, full of shame person, Jesus cared for that person above all else. That person, and that's our God. that's Jesus. Continually He did that. Isn't his word full of exhortation to you and I to look after the widows and the orphans and the fatherless and the poor? That's God's heart. So all in this little story, the one is Jairus. And who's Jairus? He's a big deal. He's the ruler of the synagogue. Jesus ministered to them, but also to a woman rejected by an entire society. Do we tend to, to hang out with those that are pleasant to hang out with? Do we minister or are we happy to honor those that are nice to be with, that cook nice meals, that are witty and funny, or good to be with, they have nice houses to sit in, and do we tend to honor those people? God honored that lady who was all the other things. So God asks us and calls us in our honoring of men, as he did, to bear those things in mind too. Who do we honor? Who do we honor? And I suppose if you wanted a scripture for, well, we've already mentioned a few scriptures I have, but Romans 12. 10 makes this thing so clear. It simply says that we're to honor others above ourselves. Honor others, it says in Romans 12:10, above ourselves. Philippians 2, verse 3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. These are, these are, these are heavy scriptures because to walk them out is, is much more difficult than just saying it and reading it. But that's the life that Jesus lived. Second point under that same heading of honoring God. There is a situation, as I said, when, when, when Jesus got up early in the morning, that time when he, when he healed Simon's mother-in-law, and they come that next morning because Jesus got up early in the morning, as I said, and they say, Lord, Lord, they, they, they're, they're in a bit of a tiff. They say, Lord, come, where have you been? We're, we're looking for you. Everybody is looking for you. Everybody is looking for you. And I assume, and just from the reading, that it wasn't just those that were staying with him. It wasn't just the hosts. I think another crowd had gathered. Now everybody was looking for him again. Because it says, at that time, Jesus just says to them, I have to go. I hear you. But I have to go to the other nearby towns and preach. Because that is God's will. That is why I have come, it says. And it's clear for me in that very thing. That, that it almost sounds as if I don't want to paint the picture that all Jesus did was just run around and, and, and he was just a puppet that was at the mercy of everybody else. And he did their will and, and nobody else's will. He just ran around honoring people. He didn't. He honored people because he firstly and foremostly honored the will of God. Do you see that in the scripture? They were, they were there again. But he knew now was the time because God has called me, it says, to go to the other towns nearby. And now I go to the other towns because that's God's will. God's will first above anything else. Very important, otherwise we do lose sight. That sometimes we become men-pleasers. We just please men. But the ultimate overriding consideration in all of this is what is God's will? God's will is that I honor others, but it's His will first. And He left that place and went to the nearby towns and began to preach. John 6 verse 38 says, I have come not to do my will, but to the will of Him who sent me. And ultimately... That's what we've got to guard our hearts against, that we are doing the will of God. Second point, is to talk about some practical ways to honor God. The first thing that I wanted to just mention was, and and again, maybe if you don't mind me getting a bit practical. I think the best way, one of the things we've really got to think about is this issue of letting our yes be yes and our no be no. Do you you agree with me that it's very difficult to honor somebody? It's very difficult to be honorable or to be seen as honorable when sometimes we say things, but don't carry them out. And people are always guessing where, where the, what the, the, whether what we say is who we are. And I think specifically, I'm thinking also about some of the, some, and I, I don't want to be critical, but I, but I, but I need to be. I think in, in some of the churches, there are false prophets. God warned us about this, that there would be false prophets. People who, who do things in the name of God, but there's, there's a lack of integrity in what they do. They say something, but it's not really what they're saying that's happening. God calls us to make, have our yes be yes and our no be no. And I really believe that for us, if we want to make an impression in life and in society, people need to look at us and know that is a man who walks out his faith with integrity. When he says yes, it's yes. And there's many other points that hang with this. There's uh, other incidents that Jesus himself referred to in Matthew. Matthew 5 verse 33, where he's talking about, about giving of oaths and swearing by oaths and he says don't swear by oaths just let your yes be yes and your no be no and I was thinking about that I don't I don't know what oaths you you know you've heard that people swear by I was thinking about this do people still use oaths nowadays instead of just making a yes? and I thought the only thing I can think about is somebody you say something and they say really and you say it's true as Bob <laughs> I don't know who Bob is do, do, do any of you know who Bob is it's the, only, it's the only swearing thing I can think of. I, I mean, I, I, know, I know Bob Mugabe. I, I, I know Bob Marley. But I, but I don't think we're really supposed to swear. I know Bob Fuller. He's not here this morning. but Bob Fuller, maybe. But don't about swearing by the other Bobs. But uh, uh, Johan, always mentions mentions where he comes from. Ron Fontaine. I, has, anybody ever, has anybody ever said a Struznyanis? I, I just wanted to do a quick survey because somewhere in my dark past, somewhere. Thank you, Austin's shaking his head. So, we used to say, anyway, don't say it, because God says, let your yes be yes. Do you know what Socrates said? Socrates said that the greatest way to live with honor in this world is to be what we pretend to be. Be what we pretend to be. and you're living a life of honor in this world. It's really what we're saying. What about this thing? And I, I know I may stand on some toes, and, I, 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 and I'm talking about honor. So I, I, I'm not dishonoring you. Can I say with genuine, before I say this, that I genuinely, I genuinely love walking out my faith with every one of you. We've been in this church since 1988. I love being here. I love walking out my faith with you. But if I, I, I can't but say that the other thing that struck me in thinking of this morning's speech is this issue of punctuality. Do, We've always we've always had this issue. We've always we've put signs up in the in the foyers about that. But really, seriously, I, I just I just ask you with, and I ask myself, if we if we are not punctual in our gathering in the mornings meetings, are are we honouring each other? Do we do we honour God when we when we're very slack about our punctuality? Do you do I, I, I wonder if I, I don't think I would arrive late for an interview if I had an interview. I'd really I'd really not want to be late for that interview. But many of us are very, are very lax about coming to church on time. And I, I, I'm not talking about when things happen. You know, you're just about to leave and you look out and out of the, your daughter's bedroom walks the cat with a hamster in his mouth. And you've got to quickly ch- chase the, ha- the cat and around the garden and, and pull the hamster out of his teeth and resuscitate the hamster and, you know, console your daughter who's hysterical. I mean, those things happen on Sunday mornings. That's fine be late when that happens. I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about a pattern of being late, you know, where, where it doesn't really matter if I arrive 10 minutes late, 15 minutes late. I wouldn't do that for an interview. Are we honoring each other? Are we honoring God when we're very slack about our punctuality at church? Just a thought. I want to just mention about five or six things, and I don't have time to unpack them, but I really I, I find this interesting. We know the normal thing. How do we honor God? Well, we honor God generally by serving Him by laying our lives down, by not satisfying our own will, but his will. But are some specifics in Proverbs that you might find interesting, and maybe they, they just stir you to walk in these areas. Let me read them to us. It says, honor your God with your wealth, with your wealth. We talked about, Johan spoke about giving last week, and giving includes wealth. Humility comes before honor. Can't honor God if we're proud and full of our own bigness and cleverness. Humility comes before honor. To a man's, it's to a man's honor to avoid strife. To avoid strife. How many of us love a good argument? We stir it. We love it when there's a bit of a bit of spice in our... God says, avoid strife. You honor me that way. Avoid this fighting stuff. Avoids fighting. How about this? Whoever is kind to the needy, whoever is kind to the needy honors God. It's an incredible one. If you and I are kind to the needy, we honor God. How about this one? He he who heeds correction is honored. He who heeds correction. Someone has to correct us, point out that we've we've erred. If we heed that correction, we honor God. Here's Here's a big one, another big one. 1 Corinthians 6.20, the rest were all from Proverbs. Honor God with your body. I love this one too. It talks about fleeing from sexual immorality, and it says, do you not know that your body is a, is, is a temple of the Holy Spirit which God gave you? And it says, then it says, Do you not know that you are not your own? You are not your own. Therefore, honor God with your body. Things that we're doing that don't bring him honor. Honor God with your body. And then I've um, just got a few more points under this heading. I couldn't but just deal a little bit with this this morning. What about honoring our government? What about honoring our government? It's a tricky one. And again, I, I, I know I could get, get some observations and discussion on this. Well, I can't help but reading in Romans 13 that says that everyone, from Romans 13:1, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. Not just a few, everyone. And there it says, for there is no authority except that which God has established. There is no authority except that which God has established. And that almost is the end of the discussion for me. And I, I, I really battled with this in preparing. I, I, I've got to be honest. But I came away feeling that this is, that God, that it's clear in God's word that we have to honor the government of the day. If there are two reasons for doing so mentioned in the word, in the scripture, which you can read, but that's, that's what it says. Does that mean that we always have to agree with our government? I don't think so. I don't think that's what it says. But if we don't agree, so if you're sitting around Having a bri as I as I love I love politics. I I majored in politics at university. I love politics. But but and always the conversation goes to, to our government. And always I find myself, if I'm honest, having 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 prepared for this morning, I'm often derogatory about our government. I don't think I have to agree with everything they do, but I think the way in which we express is important, our disagreement. We remain those that honor God. Because if we rebel against any authority, we're rebelling against God is the problem that we have. So should we march? Should we march? My opinion, you are lo- the things of the day, the, the, we are, we, the government has decreed we vote. If marching is a recognized democratic procedure, not an illegal march. In other words, it's been okayed by the authorities themselves. The march takes place. It it's, has the authority the blessing of the authorities, then I don't see anything wrong with marching. Because it's part of a discipline, it's part sorry of a democratic process. The problem we have with that today is that those around us who are marching do not have the same mindset as we do. And they are belittling the authorities and you know, swearing at them and showing total disrespect. And it's, that's difficult to do then if you're walking and I'm walking as part of that kind of sentiment. So I really just found that sobering, my friends, to just think about that. And it's not just lip service that God wants, I don't believe. But if we have to submit. To all authority, then we need to to guard our hearts. That it doesn't just become God has said in his word. People honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So I don't think it's a case of just honoring our government with our lips. It's what's going on in our heart that God would want. And I know God spoke to me about this. I can't say anything bad about speed cops anymore. I don't think. Because speed cops, you know what a speed cop is, eh? Speed cops. Speed cops. They, it's the authority that God has recognized so I I've repented about that and what we can do and ask to do is to be praying for our government 1 Timothy 2 that we pray for our government third of my four points just quickly and I'm not going to say much about it purposely didn't want to just simply to say that God also says in his word clearly point number three that we don't seek honor God spoke about to, to, the, to, the, to the Pharisees, and he said, but you're always looking for places of honor. You want to sit in the front row of the synagogue. You want to sit at the best seats at, the, at, at, at weddings. And God wasn't happy with that. He did, that was not something that he encouraged them to do. So we don't seek honor. In fact, as I said before, God says to us that humility comes before honor. In fact, in James and John, When they came to ask Jesus if they could sit at his right hand. In Mark's gospel, by the way, it's James and John that come and ask Jesus. In other gospels, it's their mother that asked on their behalf. But anyway, and God says to them, if you want to sit at my right hand, you want this place of great honor, do you know what you need to do? If you want this to be the greatest, learn to be the servant of all. Then you will be in that place of honor. So we don't seek honor. My friends, just to finish off. I find this absolutely staggering. I just, I, I just don't, I don't know how this is possible that we serve such a gracious God. The fourth point I want to make is that God honors us. How does God honor us? I can understand how Jesus is honored by the Father. And I've already spoken about what happened when, when under John, John the Baptist's ministry when God said, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus went to the cross for you and I. He was in the place of the greatest suffering and humiliation on a cross. People spat at him. They pulled his beard. They they, they hung him on a cross. He was at the lowest point that anybody could be for you and I. And then then God raises him from that situation and seats the Son of God at, at his right hand. And what does it say that God does for us? In John 12 verse 26, Jesus is speaking and he says, if you're my servant, you will follow me, and where I am, you will be. And then it says, God will honor the one who serves me. God will honor you and I if we serve him. There are other examples of that that we read in Scripture. I love one of my favorite pieces of Scripture, Ephesians 2, from verse 1 to 8. It's where It says, we were dead, you and I, in our, in our sins and our transgressions. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, and He seated us with Him in the heavenly places. Why? So that He could show the incomparable lavishness of His grace, reflected in His kindness to us in Christ. That's what Jesus, that's what God does for you and I. There is a place of honor. He honors us. Who knows Psalm twenty-three? Says God will prepare a table for me in the, in, in the presence of my enemies, and he will anoint my head with oil, and my cup will overflow. That's a picture of honor where he places us at at a, at a feast, at a banquet for us. And when you and when you poured oil on someone's head, you gave them honor. That's what Jesus, what God has promised to you and I. Absolutely incredible. If it's not only, it's not if we honor others, but simply out of his grace. When we are saved, that's what lies ahead of you and I. What is our response, my friends? What is our response to be when we consider that? That one day, you and I, with all our nonsense, are honored by God. will be honored by God. What can our response be other than to fall down on our knees, worship Him? And I think, do what, we, what, we, what we've been alluding to this for the last six weeks. Clothe yourself. Clothe myself. Put on Christ every day that I might honor him, live my life in honor to him who will honor me one day. And I just was so moved this morning again because I wanted to say, and just especially also for us to look out, as I've said, to honor those that God has placed around us. Because he calls us to honor others above ourselves. And that lady that touched him in the crowd, that includes you and I, making time and space and giving of ourselves to not only those that are pleasant to be with, But to the undignified, unwanted, rejected people that God places along our paths.